0: Welcome to our main multiple lenses for tefillah education. This podcast series hosts a panel of tefillah educators led by Rabbi Svee Hirschfield in an invigorating discussion of how to make prayer relevant to young people. As our focus, we'll use a menu of educational goals developed by the Pardes Center for Jewish Educators, where each educator explores this episode's prayer through a lens of either connecting to God, developing a sense of Jewish community, or cultivating personal growth. We hope this podcast challenges you to improve to fill education, and let us say, Amen. Okay, everybody, welcome to our, I don't know if I would to count this our first or
1: second installment, but now we have a name. Uh, the... Amen! Multiple Lenses for Tfilah Education podcast brought to you from the luxurious offices of the Pardes Institute. My name is Tzvi Hirschfeld uh, and I am blessed today to be joined and blessed, I use that intentionally, as a Tfilah podcast. I am blessed to be joined by my colleague from PCJE, <laughs> Rachel Friedrichs. Also with us is uh, Mike Foyer, a uh, revered faculty member here at the Pardes Institute, and you can find a lot of his material, a lot of wonderful insights uh, at The Jewish Story, which is a podcast that can be found on Elmod. Uh, and each of them have a lot to share about uh, tefillah and their experience with tefillah and how to teach tefillah. So today we are looking at the second two paragraphs of Shema, which is a follow-up to our uh, first podcast, looked at the first, the opening of Shema. Uh, and I want to remind, for those of you maybe who didn't listen to the first one, who are simply jumping in now, or you simply didn't remember every word that was spoken, which is a problem you should really review. But uh, we kind of outlined there the idea of, when we're teaching phila, phila education is more than just reciting these prayers, or even saying them in a group, or even saying them properly. All that is part of it. But we also noted the kavanah, an intention, a a direction that we would like to see the The recitation or contemplation of these tfilot to take us somewhere uh, was something we brought up last time and something that we think helps educators when they're trying to convey to students, many of whom may not be daveners, so to speak, many of whom may not come from homes where davening or prayer or formal Jewish prayer is a regular activity, what is a direction that we can take in our teaching that could inspire them to want to engage uh, this tefillah and want to say it, and feel there's something that they can gain from it. That's how we sort of posited uh, a general Kavanagh, and we laid out a few different areas. Uh, One, of course, which I think goes without saying, which we said anyways, is prayer as a means to connect to God, uh, to facilitate a relationship with God, greater God-awareness. Wherever we take that, I realize that uh, it's a little bit difficult to define, Uh, Number two is this idea, we use the term midot, or character education, or self-actualization, right, tfilah as an opportunity to develop or cultivate traits in ourselves, in our mood, in our behavior, in our attitude, that we feel that can help us be better people. Uh, And the last one that we mentioned uh, was this idea of community uh, and Jewish peoplehood, Uh, that how can these tfilot... Uh, build or deepen our connection to Am Yisrael, to the Jewish people, both vertically, right, the Jews, Jewish communities of the past, uh, and of course horizontally, and that's the Jewish community and the and, uh, and the Jewish people around us. So we're going to begin with uh, Rachel. So Rachel, what have you brought for us today?
2: Great. So I'm going to be focusing on the self-actualization or midot lens that you refer to, Tzvi, so first, I just want to um, comment, right, that I'm going to be focusing also within the second paragraph of the Shema and few, a few of the psukim or the lines there, right? The second paragraph of the Shema opens up basically with a little bit of a review of what came before, right? And then it shifts into, right, you do what, you love me, you're loyal to me, God. And then, Right? Um I'll just I'll just read it through in a tatiha vehta Vasavata Hishamulhem Pen Yftel Bahem Vesar Tem or Tem El Elohima or Himachim Vishtakem Lahem Vekaraf Hashem Bachem Vatsar Etashama Loya Matar Vadama Loti Tane Et Yabulava V Avadatemira Mala Arat Satova Asher Hashem Natan Bachem. Um, If if we love God, then God will give us abundant rain and crops. There'll be, um, you know, grasses for our cattle to graze on. But if we screw up, you know, and we worship other gods and we don't love God, um, then God will get angry. Um, The rains will cease, right? God will stop the rains from coming um, and the crops will dry up and then there's this, you know extremely harsh line, like, we're, we're gone for, we're done, we're, 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 we're lost or, you know, destroyed, um, and won't get the, the opportunity, the privilege of living on this great land that God had, had given us. Um, so so we have the elements of both kind of the harshness there, the exacting, you know, punishment, um, as well as, you know, the whole framing being about, you know, the, you know, rains and nature and, and the growth of food and, and sustenance for people. Um, so I think it's, meaning we have students, Jews, are, say these words once or twice a day, um, and they're pretty hard, <laughs> meaning they're harsh. And I think they kind of raise challenges on a, on a several levels, right? First of all, I think most of, our communities and certainly our students would say they don't feel like they live in a world where they sort of see this exact divine punishment meted out, right? Like, no. Like, I did something pretty terrible yesterday and I still had breakfast and lunch and dinner and TV and I iPad out, you know. Um, so, like, I just, you know, I reject the premise or I don't experience this or this is lying to right? I think there's some rub there, um, and then, of course, as, as is often the case with many of our, you know, classical texts, that an added layer of challenge is this, you know, referring to, you know, kind of natural abundance as the metaphor for reward and goodness, right? For our students, food comes from the supermarket. It doesn't come, doesn't, right, it doesn't come from the ground. It doesn't come from rain. It doesn't come from Mother Nature. Um, God, you know, however, you know, and so, like, I'm sitting in this room, I'm mumbling these words, the, I'm told that these words are kind of core to Judaism, Jewish ritual practice, beliefs. So, you know, and they're pretty alien, I think. I, I would assume that that's what most students think. Personally, I sat in day school tefillah settings for many, many years, and we just mumbled, you know, these words get mumbled. I think kind of what what they're really talking about it's, it's very easy to um, to just kind of ignore, right? So, so then why are they here? <laughs> here, right? The Shema it is one of the core central you know texts of, of our, our liturgy, a pillar um, um, of our of our prayer services. So, I, I if these words are in fact so important to our liturgy um, and our tradition then I think we owe it to ourselves and to our students to kind of pull out here what we think they can connect to and find personally meaningful. Um, and so I think, right, we kind of have to step back from some of the wrathful language and you know, the listing of the crops. You know, what's the gun again? What's tirosh again? I don't, I don't think those are kind of the key ingredients of what's happening here. Um, but from the lens of self-actualization, I want to claim that the big idea of these psukim is the idea that what we do matters, right? There are consequences to our actions, right? And it's true, we might not see or feel those consequences immediately, but if you actually think about what these psukim are saying, right, Drought doesn't happen tomorrow, right? I stole money from the stucco box or I was unfaithful to God and then like the clouds just cleared that minute and the rains went away, right? It's obviously a more sustained process. Um, And so kind of thinking about the reaction or the effects of our actions, whether immediate or not so immediate, right? Another thing to think about here, this imagery, right, of drought and the rain's drying up. I mess up. I'm unfaithful to God or do something else that's wrong, right? The rain's also not going to fall on my neighbor's fields, right? You don't have a dra- patch of drought and patch of, you know, abundant growth and, and you know, an ample rainfall. And so we're kind of being lumped together as a community. We're all in a all out. And our, con- our actions kind of have implications for everyone around us. Again, whether directly or indirectly, whether intentionally or unintentionally. But I think it's very easy to not think about the ripple effects of the choices that we make. Um, but I think this text really, in its quite strong language, is saying, but wait you know there are going to there are consequences and they do matter and they matter for people not just yourself right you might say okay i'll just i'm willing to go hungry right or i have a secret granary in my you know th- this would be a much you know these, this, you know so i'll be okay when the rains dry up but 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 what about your neighbors your family your community um etc right and so like i wonder if Like, I just wonder the power of starting your day being reminded, like, it's the morning. I just got into school. You know, I haven't had class yet. I have, like, the choices I make today are going to impact the people around me and they have consequences, religious, spiritual, social, emotional, psych. you know, um, and I have the power to make the right choices that will have good consequences, right? As much as this language is sort of like harsh, um, and I, I, f- I feel like I think about it as punitive and I think about the punishment aspect, right? But it actually starts with things will be great if you do great, right? So, and again, there are theological and, um, you know, challenges with that because we all know that people do the right thing and don't necessarily feel like they're rewarded. But, you know, and th- those are obviously important questions to grapple with, but, but there can be positive consequences to the choices we make and sort of framing for students You know, that they can kind of take this moment to embrace the the opportunity to make the right choices and to think about the consequences of their choices, you know, as they as they go into their day. And of course then Shema said at the end of the day, so you know, maybe that's a chance to think about, well, maybe I what choices did I make today and what are gonna be some of those consequences, right? Um, what how are the people how were the people around me affected by what I did and didn't do, The, the good choices and the maybe not so good choices that I made over the course of the day.
1: It is great. Mike, what are your associations with, uh, as someone who always makes the right choice, what's your association with that? Uh, well, if I always
3: made the right choice, I wouldn't rise to that taunt. So I'm just going to <laughs> I'm going to go with, um, yeah, so so one of the most powerful things I heard in what you said, Rachel, is the um, that we live in a responsive universe. You know, and it, though many of us struggle with the, um, say, the, the biblical frameworks of that responsiveness, reward and punishment, being sort of a classic. Nevertheless, to think that we live in a world in which our actions don't have impact, consequences where we don't aren't empowered to actually change the world around us is one of the great traps, I think, that every educator faces. You know, I call this the recycling problem. Like, why, why bother to recycle when you actually do the math about whether the impact of your bottle is going to make a difference in the universe? And the answer on the bottom is always the same, which is because your actions matter. So if, if I were going to pull one sort of... Uh, critical behavioral lesson of what you're saying. I would say that the second paragraph of the the Shema, the prime message is never lose sight of the fact that your actions matter.
2: Yeah, so, and just to build up of that and say maybe thinking about ways that you can, you know, have students make commitments for their day based on this what's one action you think you can do today that you want to, you know, where the actions matter, having students share... A little bit, you know, whether after tefillah or or as a kavanah before the Shema or something, you know, what's an action that you think has bigger consequences than you might not initially realize? You know, really getting students to kind of articulate the language of the implications of their actions and thinking about specific things from their for them from their days and their lives. And um, I think recycling is a, is a nice example. Having them, I come up with their own examples um, of you know why what i you know what i do matters yeah
1: you know so what i liked about this and i can't tell what this says about me is that we, we often shy away as educators and as parents from talking about negative consequences we want everything to be positive you should do this because it will help you here you should do this because it'll help you there this is good for you this is good for you this is good for you you know some things it doesn't always sink in sometimes we have to be told no actually it's bad for us if we do that right? Mm-hmm. It's not only about missing opportunities, and it's not only about, oh, you missed an opportunity to grow. Those are all true, but negative behavior causes negative consequences, and other people are hurt by it, and I think that uh, that's something we shy away from. We're afraid we're going to be t- telling people to feel guilty all the time, to feel anxious all the time, and I think on a certain level, we're missing out. It's one of the prime motivators, Right. We all know that uh, whether it's uh, people who want to quit smoking, seeing a picture of their lungs 10 years down the road uh, is a pretty good motivator, right? And I think that uh, behavior and attitude can be toxic as well. And I think reminding ourselves that not everything is no harm. You know, some things actually do cause harm and even a loss of time can be harmful, or loss of opportunity can be harmful. And I think the idea that there are also, as you said, Rachel, there are positive consequences, but also negative consequences. I think that's important. I think we need that as a motivator. I think uh, to understand that, yeah, we can actually do harm and, and to see a picture of what the world looks like when nobody recycles uh, as a, you is know, as a, as a powerful motivator to be like, wow, this, I, you know, this is important. I, and I'm causing harm when I don't uh, recycle. In, in that
3: sense, I think there's a critical work that we done here in clarifying the difference between um, natural consequence, logical consequence, and punishment. Because I think that it's, if, if it's unpopular to talk about negative consequence today, so then all the more so to talk about punishment is completely off the table. But it's an important distinction to make. I'll give you an example, right? Um, if uh, my child is playing with a knife, I don't know, it's a carving knife they're playing with, what's the sort of natural consequence of playing with a knife? Cut. You cut yourself, right? That's its own lesson, which is very important to remember. It's like, oh, right, don't mess around. What's a logical consequence? I'm going to take your, your knife away, and we're going to write up a list of, of behaviors that will keep you safe. Meaning that there's clear that the goal is to maintain safety, right? What's the punishment? You can't have dinner tonight. So you remove any logical connection between the two, but, but you know what you do do? which is where punishment itself as every parent if they're willing to admit it will admit that there is a place for that is that it reinforces my authority. And the question here is is what's happening in the second paragraph of Kretschmann is God teaching us about the mechanics of the world? This is how it works. If you don't listen to my laws, listen I got news to you. I've given you a road map. You go off the road map, you're going to get lost. Or is it simply you must understand that the power is mine. Therefore, if you go off the road map, you'd be fine if it weren't for the fact that I'm gonna pot you and get you back on the path. That's an important discussion, I think, for our students. in In how do we conceptualize God? What's the What's the question here? Is this the metaphysics of how the world works, regardless of God, or is this establishing a relationship, authority,
1: in which case punishment has an important role to play? What do you guys think? Well, so what's your, so what's your takeaway for that? In other words, you so a kid reads this or says this, and and what's the God takeaway you're hoping that you're Putting there for them, that there are different modes of relationship we have with God when there
3: are logical, natural, or punishment results to our actions, and and I would say that in general, Kriyat Shema is about sort of unpacking the varied layers or modes of relationship which are available to us. If you think about it, the classical presentation is the first paragraph is um, is what we call Kabbal Omachut Shemayim. It's the unconditional relationship. Love me, says God. Love me, no matter what. Second one is a conditional relationship. If you do this, then I will do that. I don't mean conditional meaning I won't love you anymore, but there are boundary conditions and there's a responsiveness. Right? The third one is kind of a discussion maybe we can save for later, but I would say it's the, um, it's the call to action, really, that every relationship as just an idea is always lacking. There needs to be some action that flows from a relationship that begins to change your life. So that's, that's what I would um, sort of offer as a, as a frame there.
1: Rachel, what are your thoughts?
2: Yeah, I, I, I'd be intrigued to see how students today kind of respond to this question about relationship with God framed through authority. Um, I think maybe similar to what Sifu was saying is there are certain things that are more or less popular today. And I certainly think, you know, authority is one of the things that maybe is also kind of less popular. Um, What are the implications for that in terms of how we relate to a God who's there to lay down the law and, you know, tell us who's boss?
3: Or tell us the cliff ahead. Remember, there's two different things there. It's either punishment because it's about my authority as God, if I can be God for a moment.
2: Yeah.
3: Or it's simply... Okay. I give it, you
2: permission. Or
3: it's simply, let me tell you something. I made the world. This is how it works.
2: Right. Yes, right. So then that so would be... So you should just know out. what's coming. So I, I guess the challenge there is I'm going to be you know the 12-year-old in the classroom now and say, but it's not the way the world works. I, yeah. Well, let's so, go back to recycling. Okay. Yeah. Now, now,
3: because it's a great example. Because remember that um, you, you, it was interesting the example you opened with about um, well, when I, you know, do wrong, whatever, however, define that wrong in the eyes of the Torah, okay. it's not like the rain stops falling on me. Well, it's very important to note that the Shema is not talking to you as an individual. Right. Right. This is a national covenant.
0: Yeah.
3: Right, and there are, sp- there are specific vessels for the relationship it offers. The Torah land, historic experience, but it's not speaking to the individual at all. So here we are in the year 2019, and the oceans are filling with plastic. And, you know, we have a 16-year-old Northern European girl who has suddenly become aware and quite upset about the fact that for generations people have stole her future. Stolen, sorry, her future. So that's what the Shema is trying to teach you. Not that if you do wrong you will be punished. You should just know that the bill always comes due. right? And don't we wish that all the people before us had taken that seriously? Well, if the answer is yes, then it moves us to take it seriously as well, at least for our children. You know what they say, that the environment in particular is not something that you inherit from your ancestors. It's something you borrow from your grandchildren. And that's part of what we're seeing in the Shema. Not just the consequence in my life, what kind of world... What kind of theological relationship with God, what kind of interpersonal relationship and community am I handing on to my children and their children? So I think it's it's an important difference in perspective there.
2: Yeah.
1: I I think that, you know, I I think it's okay. I hear, Rachel, what you're saying, because especially for younger kids, they're hearing punishment and they're immediately saying, does God punish or does God not punish? Does God care or does not care? But maybe that's... Remember, if you don't punish, you don't care right yeah. but maybe but maybe it's maybe it's worth putting on the table okay what do we believe God cares about and what do we believe God has commanded and what are the things that I believe I must do even though I don't feel like doing them or I don't want to do them you know maybe that's an important question to ask what are the things I'm going to do today because I think it's the right thing for me to do even though it's not what I feel like doing or I want to do
3: you, you know there's a line in moose which for me is a critically important understanding. It says, I've loved you alone amongst all the families of the world, a classic prophetic line speaking to Am Yisrael. And therefore, what comes next? God loves Am Yisrael, and therefore what? What do you think?
1: He's punished us.
3: Yeah, I'll punish you for your sins. Why? Just imagine if you couldn't feel pain. Sounds great, huh? Right up until you cut the back of your thigh... And start to bleed out through your femoral artery. No, really. I know that sounds grim, but you no, get no, my point. I, it's not just no, you get my point. It's that, that we experience <laughs> pain as something we don't want.
2: Right. That's At the, the same
3: problem. time, it, it doesn't just protect us, it gives us a, a sense of guidance of what works and what does not. And, and and so therefore, if we if it's purely punishment, then it doesn't, it's not an instruction. It's just simply about God's power. But if there's a consequence element in there, then the the, the experience of pain itself teaches us about where we've gone wrong and how can therefore self-correct.
2: I want to just, we didn't address community as one of the lenses, but it seems yet (laughs) <laughs> but I've just segued into Tzvi talking Thank about you so much th- for that
1: segue, Rachel. Sure. Yeah, because I was yeah. actually going to share an idea also. Okay. Uh, even uh, okay. Mike sort of referenced it already, but uh, the idea that this whole paragraph is all about uh, the Jewish people's relationship with God, and not the individual relationship, uh, and in fact, the explanation, of course, as to why this doesn't play out day to day, the most common explanation is because it's about a national relationship. And even the third paragraph of Shema, which we haven't really spoken about, but uh, the, the it culminating with remembering leaving Egypt, right? This idea that the, the impact that I'm supposed to remember something I didn't go through, right? We all are familiar with that from the Pesach story in general, this idea that I have to make the collective historical memory my personal memory. Uh, and what does it mean for me to go through my day, not just as me, the individual, but to see myself as belonging uh, to this greater collective, to being uh, respons- so responsible somehow for this greater collective, uh, under the authority of this greater collective, benefiting from the successes, suffering from the failures, Like Rachel, as you said, drought doesn't happen one farm at a time. Either we all get rain or none of us get rain. And I think that that's a very powerful idea. What does it mean to say as a Jew that, you know, my, my life success is somehow collective? I'll either, we'll all succeed as Jews? or we won't succeed, or whatever we're going to reach, we kind of, we reach together. Uh, and I was thinking, even, uh, and, I, and I'm sure I'm making this up, but the idea of tzitzit being this composed of these disparate pieces of string that get wound and tied together is a very powerful image of this idea of how I, and tzitzit, by the way, also come up in the third paragraph of Shema Ruvain, I was reassuring you, uh, <laughs> that uh, that somehow that's reflective in a way of this idea of understanding myself as quite literally tied uh, to this uh larger entity. Uh, And sometimes it's great and sometimes it's not so great, right? Sometimes the larger entity is pursuing an agenda or behaviors or telling stories that I feel very connected to. And sometimes they're doing all sorts of stuff that I'm not terribly interested in or don't want to really be a part of. But here I am, I don't know, in some way acknowledging that this is who I am. I've been born into this. I'm part of this story. Sometimes I feel like choosing it. Sometimes I don't. But it's almost like acknowledging. We think about Shema. You mentioned the idea of accepting the yoke. You know, part of that yoke is like, you know, my spiritual and physical DNA that I have inherited and I'm a part of. And, and uh, maybe it's important that kids grapple with that. You know, the idea that uh, what does it mean to tell a group of kids that, you know, maybe being Jewish isn't something you chose, but something that you've received. You know, It's a gift that you got. You may not have asked for it, but here it is. And there's so many of the gifts that we have in our lives. The talents that we have, the challenges that we have. A lot of these things aren't things we chose. They're things that we are... Inheritance. Inheriting. Yeah. We've been born into them. Uh, and uh, I think even if we can point out that it's not only responsibility, but it's also opportunity. Uh, and it's not only this negative burden, but it's also uh, this gift... Uh, what a nice way to think about going through Shema each day of thinking about what a blessing that I am not like adrift alone, making my way through life, but I'm actually anchored and connected in part of this larger story. I mean, in many ways. That's the emphasis I see
3: on on zikhira, on memory, which comes up in the third paragraph of Shema. You you gave that image of the tzitzit of the fringes on the on the talit being like a bunch of people bound together into one strand. Um, there's another very important function that memory plays, which is binding the past together into a coherent story that allows me to lo- lo- locate myself in the present. And not just in the present, but orient me toward the future. Right. That's why this third paragraph is um, sort of a, a, a mitzvah unto itself, right? it's, its own commandment of remembering going out from Egypt. Mm-hmm. Because as you said, everyone, and certainly in our generation, chooses to be Jewish on some level, because you could choose not to be. Right, and that's the, one of the great freedoms and challenges that we face in our generation. At the same time, it's not entirely true, right? You, you, you come from somewhere, and if our ancestors hadn't made the choice, they weren't taken out of Egypt, and they hadn't made the choice to remember that, and bind together the past, right? Memory is that incorporative power. We incorporate our past into our present, in order to guess where we're going. Which is why, of course, in the second paragraph, it's always. Or you remember all the commandments of, of God and do them. And you remember and you'll do all of my commandments. Is that memory in Jewish tradition is never passive? It's the call to action. Which I think, as an educator, is very important to note the full structure of Shema begins with sort of this unconditional relationship, love God, to a conditional or responsive relationship of if, then, to now do, right? which in, in the end of the day, I think that solves a lot of the sort of like philosophical challenges. You can lay out these challenges for your students, and they're very difficult ones, right? and there are more ways to do it, but in the end of the day, the piece I think it's important to leave them with is, okay, now what are you going to do with this? One thing you're going to do, hopefully, is continue to say the Shema. But the other thing you're hopefully going to do is figure out a way in which these modes of relationship are going to play themselves out in your daily actions.
1: Rachel,
2: thoughts? Yeah, I I just wanted to come back to this last line of of the Kriyat Shema about Yitzya Mitzrayim, um, and listening to, to the two of you speak, it it's kind of reinforcing for me the potential power of this line, right? The idea that it is a mitzvah to remember, commemorate, remember Yitzya Mitzrayim, and so we work it into our and here it is, and we say it every time we say it the Shema, and sort of all the pieces here that it touches on this idea that of you know memory and what do we do with our memories you know meaning how do they so we bind them together i like that language but then how how do they actually shape who we are right so again so how do i go into my day today after i've just been part of fila here at the so and so day school i'm thinking about my actions i'm thinking about the implication of the choice i make and i'm thinking of myself sort of like newly freed, newly empowered, newly gifted, right? This this idea, um, you know, while still connected to, to the story of my ancestors. And of course, this idea, this massive communal experience that shapes, you know, who, who we are. Um, yeah, I mean, I know in some communities, you know, the memory of, the Holocaust is like is a major defining, identifying component of how they see themselves as Jews, how what motivates them to practice, what motivates them to give their money to Jewish institutions in that community, things like that. Um, and so obviously that's a much more recent kind of event in our history, but I think it's a very palpable example of how our communal history shapes how we move through the world and how we see ourselves. Um, and so you know, broadening that to all of Am um, and, um, as, as something that, that binds, binds and shapes us.
1: You know, I think in all of these things, I think for educators out there, a couple of things to remember. No one's suggesting that saying this once, twice, or 200 times is then there's that magic yeah, shift that that's happens. Important. Uh, it's cumulative. What does it mean for this language to become part of our students' day-to-day experience? words that are familiar, that echo, that reverberate. And I also think, Rachel, you said something really important about we need to ask the question and ask them even to reflect, even for a minute, about how their day would be different if, right? How would my day look different if I did two more things to borrow Rachel's frame to make my life or the life of other people around me better? What are two things I could do today? To, I'm not going to solve recycling and clean the ocean of plastic, but what are two things I could actually do in the next eight hours that could make a difference? Or, Mike, back to your point, what would it mean to ask students, okay, what are two things you could do today that would reflect that uh, divine wisdom was guiding your choices and actions? Right? Two small areas. Who would you speak to differently? Who would you reach out to differently? What, what, beha- what Jewish behavior would be different? Whatever it would be. But what would happen if I thought to myself before I did something, what would God want me to do right now? Whether you believe in God or not doesn't even matter. The idea of God. What would God want me to do right now as opposed to simply saying, what do I want to do? Uh, and in my case, I feel you, we could ask kids, you know, what does it mean? How would your day look different? Pick two moments in your day where you're going to stop and think about all the Jews who came before you. Or you're going to stop and think about all the Jews all over the world who are saying the same prayer that you just said and how you might want to think of them. Or what is one thing you could do today to indicate that you are connected to the Jewish people, right? I think this idea that we can give them questions and tasks and even they can even have a, a journal where they can write down aspirationally ways that they'd want to implement some of these things and then the next day they can reflect. Okay, how did I do? Right, how did I do? But imagine... If, if, we, if we are able to inspire kids or young adults to change their behavior even in two moments of a day, yeah. that, that's called making a difference, and those are cumulative, and I think those kids would look back three months from now, especially if you could show them, you know, because we've been working on this, and because the SIDUR challenged us to work on this, you did a hundred things you wouldn't have done. Or two hundred things right. you wouldn't have done. Yeah, you know, you you didn't make fun of your friend a hundred times less. You know, you did that a hundred times less <laughs> than you could have, right? You didn't. You weren't rude to your parents fifty times less than you might have been. You know, you gave an extra dollar to Stuka that you wouldn't have given fifty times. Whatever it might be. That's that's a that's a real difference maker. That's a way to show that working on this can can make us better people and have us live more enriching lives.
2: I love the idea of helping students you making it palpable for them, you know, because everyone's making these own choices. And a lot of that choice making happens internally, right? That I didn't say that thing. So they, you can't play out an alternate reality where how upset would I have made my friend if I had said that rude thing. And so, okay, I made the choice. I held back it and say, it and you move on with your day, but giving students a space to kind of own, embrace it and, and share together in this work that they're doing, inspired by this tefillah, I think makes it you know, a lot. It's it's motivating. It's satisfying, and and it, and it gives kavod also to the tefillah to say this is this is what emerges from this work, from this thinking, from this talking, from the, the saying these words and en- engaging with them in a meaningful way.
3: And so what I hearing you saying is that in the morning you set the frame for the relationships that you want to grow, and in the evening you check in and
1: say, well, how have I done? <laughs> That's only one way to do it. Yeah. I will also say, the big reminder teachers aren't going to like this, if you're not going to do it for yourselves, you can't ask your students to do it. If you're not willing to engage and grow with the saying of this filote, you're going to have a very hard time modeling for them why it's worthwhile. Because, uh, And that's true for all of us sitting here as well. Uh, to teach fila means you've got to work on your own fila. Can we get a big amen, amen to that <laughs> yeah. one? Amen. Amen. Okay. So thank you all very much, those of you who listened. Uh, we appreciate your time and your effort. And we also, for those educators out there, appreciate you fighting the good filah fight uh, and, and trying to get young people, uh, many of whom are not natural daveners, to engage this material and think about it and do it. We really think it's critically important uh, to their Jewish growth, to their growth as people. Uh, and so kola kavod to all of you for engaging in this work and we look forward to uh, sharing more with you in the future thank you Rachel thank you Mike thank, well. you, thank, you, thank you Ruvain, thank Pardes. you Pardes thank God. you Hashem uh, I thanked everybody
0: <laughs> for our database of Tefillah resources and to learn more about Tefillah goals go to tefillah T-E-F-I-L-A-H dot and for more great podcasts visit elmad E L mad.pardes.org See you next time.